Well, hey, Door of Hope Northeast, this is Cameron. And for the first time as part of our house to house kind of video series, uh, I am actually in my house this time. Uh, this is a, a corner of our basement here. It's a little dark, a little dim, uh, but nonetheless, welcome to my humble abode, at least this small corner of it. Um, Hey, we're going to jump into 1 John as we have been for the last several weeks uh, once again. Uh, thanks to Sean for the scripture reading and thanks to Ben and Heather for, for leading worship for us this morning. Um, this morning, as, as you read, you, you, your, your spider sense may have started flaring up when you heard some terms that were in, in John's text this, this morning. Um, we're going to be talking about the last days or the last hour and... Antichrists. Uh, usually, some pretty, some pretty wild conversations ensue around those things. Uh, but what, what, the way John frames it for us, I think, I think you'll find surprising, especially if you've kind of been around the, uh, I don't know, sort of, sort of popular Christian end times uh, book market and so forth over the last few decades. Um, so instead of re the text is long, Sean's already read it for us. Instead of kind of rereading it. Um, I just kind of wanted to organize this morning kind of, kind of around three, three subheadings, if you will. Um, I first want to want to talk about what the heck is John talking about when he brings up the last hour and the antichrists and, and, and saying that things are, these things were already here back in his day some 2,000 years ago. Um, I want to talk about, secondly, what was this teaching that they were carrying um, that, that John was so worried about, which is kind of behind a lot of this letter as John is trying to prepare this community he's writing to to stand firm in this sincere, true, historic Christian faith uh, against whatever these people are putting forward. And then number three, what are the safeguards that John kind of puts forward to his, his readers and, and uh, do they apply to us? Should we be leaning into those things as well? Um, so let's just jump in, uh, shall we? Um, and if it looks, I, I don't, I can't even remember how I set up the camera. If it looks like I'm looking down a lot, I've got my computer down here just out of, just out of screen. So, um, if I'm looking down, I'm consulting my notes. Um, so first, uh, John, John mentions that we are in, from his, his point in time, he's writing to his readers. He says, uh, it is the last hour, um, which is 100% right in line with how the rest of the New Testament authors and, and thinkers uh, talk about the age that, that comes right on the heels of Jesus's earthly ministry. So right after Jesus's death, resurrection, ascension, and then the sending of the Spirit, even in the book of Acts, Peter, Peter quotes powerfully this passage from Joel chapter 2, one of the Old Testament prophets, and, and says that this, this end time, these last days that Joel prophesied about, they're here. They're here now. And we see that kind of language elsewhere in the New Testament. Um, this was implied in the previous section when, when John, uh, just last week, had mentioned that the world is passing away. Um, we, we touched on that briefly, uh, but here John makes the point more explicitly. The, the ministry of Jesus, his earthly ministry, uh, in, in, in some ways kicked off what we might call the beginning of the end. Um, a time that we are still in as we await the return of King Jesus to come uh, once more and put all things right, finally, in the initiation of the new heavens and the new earth and all that stuff that we talk about from time to time. 
Um, and John's point is that uh, the arrival of these antichrists um, is another confirming point that, that this day has come. So um, I think it's really important to note that John was not mistakenly asserting that, that Christ's return itself was coming at a particular date. Um, when he uses this language of like the last hour, John isn't saying, okay, like any minute now, um, we have, have it on good authority that Jesus is returning. Um, he's arguing something subtly different, but really important to get right, which is that Jesus's return was imminent in that it could happen at any time. There's not some big sort of, um, epoch of salvation history we're waiting to get into before Jesus can return. Um, we have a task to take the gospel to the ends of the earth uh, in this age, but, but we sit like the early Christians that, whose lives are recorded in the New Testament. We sit in this day where the return of Christ could happen at any minute. That doesn't mean it's going to happen uh, minutes from now. So we don't know if he's 15 minutes from coming or uh, 1500 years from coming. Uh, but, but we know that we are in the final era before he does return. And that should color the way we live our lives. It certainly did for John and his readers here. And we get, we get from John here that this evidence that there was this developing teaching about someone called the Antichrist. In Greek, it's literally, uh, Antichristos, um, which could mean either one opposed to Christ or sort of like a replacement or counterfeit or imposter Christ, and that this person would be coming in the last days. Um, but John's point is that there are many people actually who represent the spirit of this, of this antichrist. You might call them little a antichrists um, who, who, are, who are here now, and they're, they're further evidence of this last time. So um, the word antichrist itself only occurs five times in the New Testament. Um, all of them in First uh, and Second John, interestingly. So what in this text do we learn about these little a antichrists who are in some way like pictures or images of some capital A antichrist that, that uh, the early Christians believed was going to come at some point? Well, we see that there are people who seemed to be sincere parts of, of this Christian community, this early Jesus community uh, that John's writing to. Uh, second, we see that though they seem sincere, they departed from that community and from faithful kind of um, apostolic Jesus tradition um, that had been passed down. And then third, in John's estimation, the fact that they left shows that, they, uh, that the gospel never really took root in their hearts. That's how John sees them and understands them in this case. So that's who they are. So what is it that, that these antichrists are teaching? This is our second main point. What, what was the heresy that John was so concerned to sort of protect his readers from? Well, um, John characterized these antichrists as liars because, verse 22, they denied that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and, and in his commentary, I thought this was really good, John Stott pretty, pretty convincingly argued uh, that they were probably denying really more so that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. Um, there's good reason to think that they probably came to hold like this later group called the Gnostics, 
that the material world is evil and thus that the Son of God would not or could not become legitimately incarnated or enfleshed himself in humanity um, in, in, in a general way, in the way that Christians have always believed. Um, and that kind of anti-material attitude, it's so easy for that to seep into the church, isn't it? To become skeptical of, of the human body, of, of God's created world, and so on and so forth, to, to try to shoehorn all the things that matter into the immaterial, or the ethereal, or the spiritual. Um, but, but John's having none of that here. Um, the, the physical embodied incarnation of Jesus is one of the most unique and beautiful claims, I think, that Christianity makes in the scope of sort of world religions and philosophies. Um, it's this idea that God entered into his creation and identified with his people in the most profound, humble, and significant way possible by becoming a full, actual, genuine human. God living amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us, not only living amongst us and teaching us and serving us, but dying for us and raising for us. It, he, he dignified his creation and demonstrated his love for it in this like most amazing act. And, and, and in these things too, revealing himself in time and space in a way that God had not done before um, in his relationship with, with humanity since creation. So John was fired up to make sure that this teaching, that these, these people who left the community, who, who claimed some sort of new secret knowledge, uh, in part that was probably about denying the physicality of Jesus's incarnation. John wants to make sure it has no foothold uh, for this early community and it should have no foothold for ours. Um, we, we believe the God who created and said it is good and that, that though, though the world is marred by sin, that truth still remains. The, the world of creation, material creation, including your human body and mind is good. Um, and the incarnation of Jesus is evidence of that. So like, like John, I hope <laughs> that you believe in a Jesus that was and is still both fully God in all that's required to fulfill that description and fully man in all that's required to fulfill that description. And that this is an inseparable part of, of the good news of Jesus. Uh, and then he implies secondarily, we see this in verse 23, that by denying the son in this way, whether these people realized it or not, I'm, I'm sure they didn't realize it, they were actually denying the father as well. And it's, it just reminds me of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 8 through 9. Philip, so it says, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And you, I, I, I can I hear Jesus' sort of pained reaction to that in that verse. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you know me? Isn't it clear? Like, don't you know the Father in the scriptures well enough to know that when you spend time with me, you're hearing the same voice? Can't you tell? Can't you see? So there's, there's no knowing and loving and following 
the Father God without knowing and loving and following Jesus, the Son of God, incarnated in human flesh. John make, wants to make very clear. And finally, it, it wasn't that, um, that they merely believed these lies about Jesus, but verse 26 shows us that, that they were actually trying to deceive this church community and, and bring them into this mistaken set of beliefs about who Jesus was and thus who God was. Um, and that's the way it goes, isn't it? it? It's so often that when people sort of leave the fold of, of sort of historic Christianity, um, that they become often really evangelistic about it. They, they take on the posture of like, we are now the enlightened ones who have the secret knowledge. We've, we've, we've got the inside track with God in some way. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been more communicative to us than to you. Um, and we want to sort of lead you guys out of your primitive understanding and into this new thing, this more beautiful thing, this more true thing. And so John mentioned specifically, they are trying to deceive you. And the confidence with which these people must have been teaching and, and, and drawing and, and, and the way it must have, have harmed and confused this community of believers um, led God, or I'm sorry, led John to, uh, to want to offer some encouragement and, and some ways to, to safeguard them uh, from, from this thing. And so here's our third section. It's the believer's safeguards. The first thing I would say is that it's just, he offers apostolic encouragement, encouragement from the apostle John himself. Um, this is a really relational safeguard. So remember, this John that's writing, we've talked about this before, we'll talk about it again. This, this is John, we believe, uh, the disciple of Jesus, one of the 12, um, who in all his authority, as an eyewitness to the life and the ministry of Jesus himself, as the one that the Gospel of John calls the beloved disciple, in particularly special relationship with Jesus. Now in his old age, so we're, we're decades removed from the life of Jesus now, um, he's, he's now in his old age after a lifetime of reflecting on his time with Jesus and deepening his faith and submission to the Holy Spirit. This John assures his readers that they do, in fact, know the truth. He tells them that, point blank. I know that you know the truth. I see it in you. And while you and I don't have John sort of hanging around <laughs> for, to do this with us, but nonetheless, this is one of the most soul-strengthening benefits of committing ourselves to living out our faith in community to living out our faith in the church, um, that, that other people might observe your life and mine um, and speak life and encouragement into us, especially, especially in moments of weakness, in moments of doubt, in moments of uncertainty, in moments of confusion. It is so powerful to have someone who actually knows you because of time spent together who can say, no, 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 don't fear. I see the evidence of Jesus. I see the evidence of the Spirit of God at work in your life. You don't have to fear this or, or worry about this. So that's his first encouragement. It's just the encouragement of relational um, sort of strengthening that way. Number two, he, he, he points them to the historic gospel, this objective standard or an objective measure um, 
uh, that serves as a safeguard. So John again points them to quote, what they have heard from the beginning, a phrase that's already come up in this book, um, which is I, I think best taken as the basic gospel message that cannot change and will not change no matter what innovations or deconstructions or reimaginings come along. Um, it's that which they heard when they first came to faith, when they first came to see Jesus for who he is in all of his saving glory. Um, this is the gospel probably, you know, it's, it's summarized. The, the gospel is, is so expansive, we can swim around in it forever, but, but the Bible also includes these short, succinct summaries that kind of boil down the gospel to these kind of key talking points. And, and Paul um, in 1 Corinthians uh, says, well, um, I'm going to share with you, quote, of the things of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, with the whole story that God had been telling so far, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve, and then he goes on talk about who else Jesus appeared to, but that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one prophesied about, he died for our sins. That's the, that's the heart of the gospel. And that he's now been, he hasn't just died, he's been exalted uh, to, to the kingship. He, he's, he's proven himself to be the one true rightful king. Um, and he's, he's, he's proven that by appearing to people in the flesh. Um, so that's the gospel. I think, I think that's the heart of what, of what John wants them to, to make sure they, they, they don't lose. Um, and then secondly, though, we have advantages even um, in, in some ways now, 2,000 years later, that, that I think could, could rightfully tie into this idea. We have uh, the New Testament canon of Scripture. Uh, in addition to the, the Old Testament canon that all of these people would have had. But at the time of John's writing, there was no, there was a forming, of, in the early stages of forming a New Testament. Um, some of these writings were beginning to be circulated and, and to take on, to be recognized for the authority that they did carry. Um, but we now sit with a, with a New Testament canon also that, that many of us were, were given, um, you know, alongside the Old Testament when we came to faith. We're not left to just sort of hearsay, but we have these authoritative scriptures inspired by God, you know, sort of universally recognized with their authority by the church throughout human history um, to help guide us as well. And even beyond that, it's not authoritative in the same way, but the, the creeds of the early church, things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, these summarizing statements that, that across large swaths of the Christian community came together to write and to say this represents an accurate way of understanding what's most basic about our faith. The point here is that, look, we didn't invent our faith. And though we, <laughs> we corrupt it and we bend it in ways that are unknown to us, so for that we need to continually pray that God will reveal where are we getting it wrong, where have we departed, where have we been, been influenced by American culture or whatever else uh, to the detriment of the truth and ways that we do know and that, that we pray we can re repent from. So we, 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 we bend it in various ways, but we don't want to. And at heart, we want to recognize that we are part of this great tradition that extends far beyond Dwarf Hope Northeast in Portland 
in America in the year 2000 that, that traces itself back to the basic, ancient, historic message about Jesus and his kingdom and the salvation that he offers by grace alone through faith alone that began with a carpenter from Nazareth and his disciples together, this ragtag band of Aramaic-speaking, dark-skinned Israelites uh, that, that has made its way across geography and across 2,000 years of time uh, to express itself uniquely but unitedly in countless like nations and cultures and ethnicities. We don't have the authority or the right to change that gospel. And when we discover that we have, we have to be quick to return and humble enough to return because it always ends up being bad news for the world that God loves when the church thinks it knows better than him <laughs> and decides to innovate from what he has revealed. Um, I hope you believe that to be true. So that's number two, second safeguard. It's, it's the objective truth of, of the gospel as you've heard from the beginning. And then number three, the Holy Spirit's anointing. Uh, this is the subjective or experiential safeguard that they can lean into in these moments of insecurity. So it's just a reminder that the Holy Spirit of God has come to make his home in everyone who is in Christ. Um, and so, so these readers don't have to be racked with insecurity because of these teachers who have left and claim the secret knowledge and maybe that they feel like they have the inside track from God. No, they, they don't have to be persuaded by that secret knowledge because they too have the greatest teaching presence of all within themselves. The Spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, in the, in the words of John here. And I, I think we should note this, this isn't to denigrate the role of teaching in the church. So John himself, if you'll step back and think about this for a moment, he's acting as a teacher here. He himself is, is coming alongside them to teach them about what to do in this situation. Teaching is, giving, is given as one of the main uh, responsibilities of, of the pastor elder uh, in the New Testament. Um, it's a spiritual gift. It's valuable. I hope, hope you believe that. But a teacher, no matter how convincing, no matter how compelling, no matter how credentialed, is not infallible. No teacher is. No human teacher is. And, and he or she will never supersede the Spirit of God. So commentator Gary Burge says this. He says, no imposters can come along and say that their anointing is superior or that they have more of Jesus than someone else. On the contrary, the gift of the Spirit is the same for all. And we should be careful, however, not to think of this objective and subjective preparation as entirely separate. Intellectual readiness, and he's talking about the the truth you receive from the beginning there, and, and it's not distinct from spiritual readiness or, or the subjective internal work of the Holy Spirit to teach and guide you. At best, these two things come together and work beautifully uh, to lead the believer into truth. So there you go. What do we do with false teaching? John probably isn't trying to give us an exhaustive list here, but it's a very good one. We lean into the relational encouragement of our community. We lean into the objective truths that have been delivered to us throughout time and space and culture in the form of the historic unchanging gospel and everything that flows out of it. And then we lean into the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God who serves to teach us 
if we can f- figure out how to discern and listen to him in conjunction with those other two things. Um, so Door of Hope Northeast, to keep it as, as short as possible, I want to wrap up here, but I want to commend these things to you. Are you in community right now? Are there people who know you well enough to speak these kinds of words of encouragement to you? It's hard in COVID, but I encourage you to the degree that you feel it's safe to press into relationship right now with believers and believers from our our church community. Number two, do you know the gospel? Are you a regular student of the scriptures even? Do you make the Bible and prayer a part of your, your regular habit? If not, I commend that to you. And then third, uh, do you trust, if, if you're in Christ, that you do have the Holy Spirit inside of you? And are you working to discern in conjunction with these other two things, how he's leading and how he's teaching, letting him help you discern truth from untruth? Because in an age of misinformation and uh, everything that goes along with it, the ability to discern the truth is crucial about the gospel and about everything else as well. So if you're participating in house church, I hope you'll talk about those things this morning. Um, If you're not, I hope that you will find someone to to process this with and and engage these ideas with. So that is 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 18 through 27. Uh, I'm encouraged by it. I hope you are. And uh, we'll keep going. Sound good? All right.